Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning, everybody. And for those of you watching online, big welcome to those of you at home. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Grateful to see faces and grateful that you've joined us there um, online. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in the, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. If you're using the Bible app, feel free to open that app and find our live event. You can track along right now. And um, if you have, um, I, in the 8 o'clock service, I didn't mean it this way, but I said if you have a real Bible, th- that's not what I meant. If you have a, a paper Bible, uh, keep it handy because we're going to be doing a little bit of flipping back and forth. Just wanted you to know that's what's coming up. I'd like to start today with a parental confession and see if any of you parents are on board with me here. There are moments when I make promises to my kids. Most of the time it sounds something like this. Hey, Dad, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know what? I promise we can talk about that later. Fully intending. I have no intention to ever bring that up again, and I sure enough hope they forget about it. Who's with me, moms and dads? Yes, and some of you grandparents, you have relearned that skill over the past few years. Um, all of those cute little grandbabies have now grown up and started asking for stuff, and you're like, hey, can we uh, just have a minute? That's where we are. This is the zip code that we're in today. Because um, there are times when we use our words to manipulate others. We use our words to kind of shape, if you will, the relationship or the response of the person in front of us. That is where we're living today. It's where Jesus takes us in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Again, you've heard it said uh, that it was, excuse me, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And just to pause a note here, if you will, uh, when he addressed anger at the first part of this section, he quoted uh, one of the Ten Commandments. When he addressed adultery and and, uh, cultivated desire uh, that gets out of whack and gets all sort of deviant, um, he uh, quoted one of the Ten Commandments. And then when he's picked up divorce, and then in this particular section, you won't find that particular quote in the Old Testament, so don't go looking for it. What he's doing is taking a broad swath of teaching in the Old Testament and bringing it down to a sentence. So he's summarizing. This is what he's doing. When he says, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. Verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, or some of you have, comes from the evil one. Three things I want um, us to see, I think Jesus wants us to see here from the text, and I think it is uniquely relevant to our day. Now, I will just say before we jump in here, based on the feedback that we've gotten over the past several weeks, anger, desire, divorce, um, over those three big topics that we've covered, um, based on the feedback that we've gotten, either my preaching has gotten a lot better, or... Jesus is speaking to the places where we are. I'm guessing it's the latter. And the, the way that he has been addressing us as a people, I think he's been challenging us 
and moving us to something. So what he wants us to do is to lock on on this genuine goodness that comes from him. Let it do its work inside of us and then to make us the kind of people. So here we go. Uh, first thing um, to see is that there is a kind of ridiculous righteousness. And I, I phrase it ridiculous and in parentheses unrighteousness, really. Um, and what, what we have to do is jump back into the first century a little bit. But you see it here in verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had in their minds that as long as I'm not doing anything external that's wrong, then I am a righteous person. None of us ever live with that idea that if I only act right or appear to act right, then I'm okay. None of us have ever lived with that thing before. But in case you have, just wanted you to know this is what Jesus is addressing here. There is a kind, in, in, on this particular topic, there was a kind of legislated oath-taking um, and, and even though we may obey all the laws, even though we may be externally right, um, not doing the things that we're not supposed to do, even though we may follow the law in that sense, that does not equal righteousness. Legislated oath-taking is not, is not righteousness. For Pharisees, um, as long as you didn't swear by God in his name, uh, as long as you didn't swear to God and then leave the vow unfulfilled, or as long as you didn't perjure yourself in a legal setting, you're good. But just like murder... Just like adultery, listen, there can be things that we avoid and still miss goodness and righteousness altogether. This is what he's talking about here. The the Pharisees, again, they had their list. Don't swear by God. You and I, in our particular day and age, we may say something along the lines of, um, you know, we just shouldn't be people who cuss, or at least not cuss too much. Uh, A friend of mine describes uh, swearing, those words, those four letters, words, um, as uh, when we get emotionally compressed, that is the easiest way to let it out. Some of us get emotionally compressed a lot, yeah? Sinners. And um, (laughs) this is certainly what he's talking about, but it's more than that. And, oh, well, don't, don't swear, don't swear uh, um, an oath to God. This is the Pharisees. Don't swear an oath to God and then leave it unfulfilled. Or don't perjure yourself. And again, what I'm saying is when we simply think that that is the way of righteousness, we miss what Jesus is doing um, altogether um, in our particular day and age. The phrase that you and I might use is something along the lines of plausible deniability. Anybody heard that phrase before? You can't prove that I didn't know. That, that was the place where the Pharisees were standing. And listen, that is a fragile, fragile place to put yourself. He's inviting us to something different. There was also, because, because people um, thought that if they just obeyed the laws in this area, didn't say some things, didn't use some words in that way, that they were righteous, there was also some real logical fallacies uh, that were shown to be um, true that abounded then, as it says, and frankly, about now, um, let me just pick up here, verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, uh, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So just because you swear by something that's less than God, that doesn't mean that it's disconnected from God. And you think to yourself, well, uh, this doesn't make much sense, because I'm just guessing here. Did anybody swear by the church building this week? Anybody? Just No? Um, this, these steps or that kneeling bench or anything. No, no, no. That's what, here's the thing though. 
Uh, This in our day and age would be something along the lines of um, speaking about things. um, We speak about things that we have no expertise or experience in. How about that? Anybody get into that this week? Verse 36. And do not take an oath uh, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Or again, in some of our cases, you you cannot make one hair stay in or one hair fall out. Swearing by things that you don't have control of, that's not helpful either. And again, one more time, in our day and age, it's the repeating of something hoping that it will come true. This is, this is the logical fallacy with which people live. Jesus picks this up uh, a little bit later. If, again, if you're a user of the Bible app, this should jump right up. If you have a book Bible in your hand, paper Bible, over in Matthew chapter 23, verse 16. He's right in the middle of a diatribe against the scribes and the Pharisees. This is what he said in verse 16, Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. Do you, do you hear how dumb that sounds? You blind fools, Jesus says so. Uh, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Verse 18, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by, um, swears by it and uh, by what's on it. Uh, and everyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Verse 23, and excuse me, verse 22, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. That we think that there are loopholes um, that we can kind of get through. And when we think that way, when we, when we stand on this shaky ground called plausible deniability, what we're doing is missing it altogether. And again, you think to yourself, hey, that was then, but today, I mean, this is a different ballgame altogether. And I just point you to uh, a few things. Has anybody ever padded a resume before? Don't raise your hand. Turned in an expense report that you juiced just a little bit? Just as a reminder, April the 15th is tax day. Jesus isn't messing around, folks. He knows where we live. And some of the language may be a little foreign, but the concepts are definitely not. Those fallacies abounded then and they abound now. And that's why it is a ridiculous kind of unrighteousness. So here's some things that Jesus knew. And then we're going to hear his invitation. Here's what Jesus... Let me pause here and just put this parenthesis out there. I think it's important to say this um, in, in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not laying down new law. Okay? So if you think to yourself, what Jesus is saying is, don't ever say, I swear. Or don't ever take an oath. And people have done that. There are whole sections of the Christian faith um, where they say, when we go to court, we're not going to put our hand on the Bible. Raise That's not what Jesus is not saying that. He himself took an oath in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Paul took an oath in Galatians 1. God um, took an oath after the flood in Genesis 9. I mean, we could just keep going. He's not laying down new law for you and me. Oh, don't you say that. He's not saying that. He's saying, let's deal with what's going on. And this is where... This is where it takes us. Jesus, here's what Jesus knew about being the kind of people who are yes and no people. Look at verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil. Jesus knew three things. Number one, he knew that words came and they do. They come from the heart. 
Words come from the heart. You see the reference there on the screen. And again, if you're a user of the Bible app, this should be right there. If Otherwise, you can flip over in Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 34. You brood of vipers. Jesus always seems to be calling people names like this. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, before we chase anything else here, just be clear of what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to a group of people and he's saying, there are things that come out of your mouth that are not good. But the problem isn't with what comes out of your mouth. Yes, it is good to keep your promises. Yes, it is good not to lie. Yes, it is good not to uh, drop those four-letter words in, in places like I mean, all of that's true, yes. But the issue is not with the vocalization. What does he say? Out of the out of the abundance of the heart is when the mouth speaks. Verse 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they posted on Facebook. I'm sorry, that's not right. For, uh, I need my reading glasses. For every careless word they speak. There are no throwaway words, folks. We will give an account for every careless word because it shows what's going on inside of here. It shows what's going on inside of here. If he is going to fix what's going on in our mouths, he has to fix what's going on in our hearts. We have a source problem. The very first house that my wife and I bought uh, in Waco uh, set um, on a, a kind of a cool old street in Waco, built in 1948, pier and beam. The lot ran high on the left um, to lower on the right. So pier and beam, beautiful Fun, oh, so fun. Old, though, old. Everything in it's old, right? Because it's 1948's old house. Well, what, what we noticed was, is that when we'd leave for two or three days, that we'd come back and it would smell kind of musty. You know, dank and, yeah, you know, like that. Um, and we just attributed it to being an old house built in 1948. We also knew uh, that, that we had a significant rodent and insect problem. Furry little rats... Lived in our attic and, you know, it was gross. And, uh, uh, and, and roaches, that's, that's the reality. Uh, that's where we lived. Uh, and when we would come back from being gone for a while, it, it just seemed a little worse. So we lived with it. We just thought, oh, it's an old house. This is what happens, et cetera, et cetera, no problem. We sold the house. A year later, a year later, the people who bought the house called us and said, hey, when you used to leave, and you would come back. Did it smell like musty and kind of stale inside? Yeah. Well, we figured out what the problem was. The pipe between the kitchen sink went through the disposal and was supposed to go to the sewer. The problem is it had broken. So when you're, if you're not quite confident what that means, that means everything that you pour down the kitchen sink is not going to the sewer. It is going under your house. And because the house sat on a slope, no inspector could get up there to figure out what was going on, which invited all these roaches and rats. It was disgusting. They, in order to fix it, had to pull an entire side of the house off, move some cabinets, go in, dig this, do all that. I mean, it was crazy. There was a huge source problem. It wasn't, you, could, you couldn't just spray Lysol in the kitchen and make it not stink anymore. You had to deal with what was going on. This is Jesus. We think that the problem is what comes out of here. And it can be a problem. But the deeper issue, you can't just lice all that and make it okay. Why? Because words have a point of origin, and that point of origin is our hearts. 
Out of the overflow, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The second thing that Jesus knew was that fear creates a relational distance. Now, this is true in any number of settings. As it involves this in particular, the fear is, the very specific fear is, is that um, if I don't use my words to manipulate you or to kind of force my will on you, you will not do what I ask, you will not think what I think, or you will not come to my side on this deal. I don't trust you to discern what is right, or at least what is right in my eyes. And because that fear is present, it creates this relational distance. Um, This is pastoral. I just note this. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, He who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. I would say one of the great tragedies of the past 12 months is the number of people who have either isolated themselves or been isolated. And because there is that isolation, he seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment, you are more apt in isolation to be manipulated and seeks his own desire. You are more apt to manipulate others to get what you want from them. And that fear creates this relational distance. And when there is that fear and that distance, here's how we tend to deal with that naturally speaking. The inclination, our natural inclination, is to manipulate and lie. It is our fearful heart's chosen method to get you to do what I want you to do, to get you to think what I want you to think, and to get you on my side on any particular issue. I will fear, I mean, out of fear, I will manipulate or I will lie. I want you to do what I want you to do. I want you to think like me. I want you to take my side. And here's what I want to do for just a moment. I want to point us backwards. Third page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Perfect setting, perfect place, perfect relationship between husband and wife. Everything's perfect. Eve's there. She's looking at the fruit of the tree. She goes, oh, that one ain't right there. That looks good to eat. I know God said not to. Okay, so we won't do that. And then the serpent comes along. The enemy comes along. And here's what he says. Hey, did God really say this? He's trying to get you to think what he thinks. Oh, surely you won't die. God's not going to get you for that. He's trying to get you to take his side. God knows that when you become... When you do that, you'll, you'll be just like him. He's trying to get you to do what he wants you to do. Listen to me. When we manipulate verbally, do you know who we sound like? In our day and in our age, and I want to say this very directly. In our day and in our age, the conspiracy theories that are out there that have been on social media have been spread. The outright lies that have been spread and the propaganda, which if you're looking for a definition of propaganda, you take statistics uh, and you take sound bites and you weave those together to make your point. This is what we're talking about. That stuff right there is how in our day and in our age we manipulate. And I'm telling you, church family, we sound like the enemy. We have then broken the ninth commandment, don't bear false witness, and we have taken God's name in vain because we have emptied God's name and his worth, excuse me, God's, the worth of God's name of its value and attached it to something that does not represent him at all. This is what Jesus knew about yes and no. And so when he goes to work, yes 
we want to be careful about what comes out of our mouth, but bigger than that, we want to deal with and we want to let him deal with what's going on in here that makes that the case. Thirdly, I, I just want to hear his invitation with you. Again, I'm pointing back to verse 37. Here's the invitation. Let, let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Just let what you say be yes or no. Anything else is from the evil one. We would become a yes or no kind of people. Let's start there. The invitation of Jesus is to become a yes or no kind of people. We, we have a yes and we have a no. Our, our words reflect um, the genuine goodness of God that is operating in our lives. It's so, that genuine goodness, His righteousness, so permeates us and seeps down into the very core of who we are that our lives, yes, but our words in this particular instance, our words reflect um, that genuine goodness. We, we as a church family, we are people of the truth. And we have committed our lives to follow the one who says of himself, if you've been around church, you help me here. Help me. I am the way and the... Say it real loud. I am the way and the... That's who we're talking about here. We follow the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father by me. So we are people of the truth who follow the truth. Therefore, what do we get to do? We get to be people who live in and certainly speak the truth. Jesus' little brother James... Uh, he, I mean, he had just has a profound book, ethical teaching. Uh, chapter one uh, deals with uh, 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 trials and um, living in wisdom and uh, being people who respond to the temptations that come our way and, and being doers of the word. Chapter two, we, we do it all the time and we treat others equally. We're not um, racist. We're not classist. We're not any of those things. We're not partial in any way. And our faith gets expressed in work. Chapter three, we, we deal with the things that are coming out of our mouth and we live in the kind of wisdom that God wants us to live in. Chapter four, we do not adulterate ourselves to others. We don't connect ourselves. We just live according to what God wants us to live. And then he drops this gem in chapter 5. Look at it. But above all, don't miss that, please. So, I mean, four, really, four and a half powerful chapters on the ethical teaching of what it means to live with Jesus in the world. And he says, but above all, brothers, sisters, don't swear either by heaven or by earth by any of the oath, but just let your yes be yes, let your no be no, so you may not fall under condemnation. Above all. Four and a half amazing chapters. But if you're not paying attention yet, I want you to pay attention right now. Above all. Be a yes and no, be a yes and no kind of people. Second thing, would we hear his invitation? We we are invited to become a yes and no kind of people. And secondly, we are, we are invited to love uh, people enough to speak the truth. We are invited to love people enough to speak the truth. Uh, again, if you're a user of the Bible app, that next little verse will show up. Uh, otherwise, just this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Here's what Paul said. Therefore, in light of this new identity that we have, that God has given us in holiness and righteousness, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We, as the people of God, we don't have to live in fear, folks. We can love people enough to speak the truth. We're not people who have to fear. Jesus rose from the dead. We don't have to be afraid. 
The kingdom is unstoppable and unconquerable. We do not have to be afraid. We are permanently adopted into God's family and relationally secure. We do not have to be afraid. And history is doing God's bidding. He is pointing it exactly to where he wants to go. We do not have to be afraid. We can speak the truth to those around us and do so in love. It honors them when we do so. It honors them because they are made in God's image. It it trusts them. Talk more about that in just a second. Last thing I'll say on this. And again, this is, I think, unique to our day and our age. Maybe not unique, but exceptionally so. Especially so. Folks, we don't have to be right and be mad. Just earlier in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, Speak the truth and do so how? In love. Speak the truth in love. And when you speak the truth in love, you will grow up and you will help others grow up into the fullness of who Jesus is. You don't have to be right and mad, folks. We don't have to be. We love people enough um, to speak the truth. Uh, Thirdly, uh, we, we live within this kingdom Dynamic, And what is that dynamic? It is what I simply termed the ask. That our relationships um, within the kingdom of God is not forceful. We are not manipulating. Instead, we ask. And what, as we do so, as we're asking those around us, as we are uh, engaging in that kind of relational honoring and love um, towards those, what we're doing is we're trusting God to help that person be discerning. Thinking they need to see things our way is one thing. Thinking they absolutely should or have to see things our way, that's a different thing. Because that does not honor their discernment. When I operate in this kingdom dynamic of the ask, I am trusting God enough. I have confidence in God's ability to lead them. And that doesn't require my forcefulness. And furthermore, because God is good, listen, because God is good, I can trust him not only with the ask, but also with the outcome of that. People say, well, I mean, like, what in the world does that look like in our day and age? Let let me just give you a couple of questions to ponder. This will help you know, I think, if you're living in this dynamic. Here's number one. If I ask something of someone and they respond negatively, do I still trust God? They don't respond like I want them to. Do I still trust God? Or do I feel a need to kind of go back at it? Do I trust God with a, a, a response different than the one I wanted? Secondly, if we're in a conversation and and they're making arguments and I'm making arguments, if I'm representing their side, do they recognize what I'm representing? Because one of the great things in our day and age is to set up a straw man and knock that sucker down. Listen, it's easy to set up straw man, but people that you're arguing with are are the kind of people who would say, listen, that's not really what I believe at all. Or that's only like 5% of the whole picture here. If we're going to be people of the truth, then we can represent their side just fine. Otherwise, we do live in fear. Do we really think that Jesus doesn't win in the end? Why, why do we need to set up these straw men? We don't have to. Do, do they recognize your representation of their side of the issue? And have you represented it as honestly as possible? Third question. Uh, are, are you withholding any information that would help them to be discerning? In the name of persuasion, even, are you withholding any information? This is what it means to live within the kingdom. In this dynamic of asking, of honoring them as being made in God's image. 
and as somebody that God is uh, in whom God is at work. So this, this is where I want to wrap up here. What could be in our cultural moment, in our day, and in our age, what could be more countercultural than being a yes or no person? What could be more countercultural than shunning conspiracy and lies and propaganda and just setting forth the beauty of the truth in all of its incredible glory? What could be more countercultural than that? What kind of person would that be? And furthermore, what kind of good could that person release into this world? This is what Jesus is inviting us to. And if you're here this morning, if you're at home and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to know he is the truth and he's inviting you to live in the freedom that the truth brings. If you are here and you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I'm going to pause here for a moment and give us an opportunity just to sit before God. And as you sit before God, I want to invite you to not only offer your heart to him, but offer your words to him. And he may very well take his finger, and this is kindness to you and me, this is not harsh. He may very well take his finger and set it on something in particular. Because we say things like, oh, I swear, or on a stack of Bibles, or on my mother's grave, or any number of other things. He may take his finger and set it on that and say, listen, listen. You don't have to use those kind of phrases to manipulate. You're going to speak the truth in all of its glory and let it go to work. And when he does, that'll be kindness to us. So let's pray. You take a moment. If you want to keep your Bible open, please feel free to do that. If you need to close it up in order to be able to lock in and focus, you can do that as well. As you settle in, Set those things before God. Set your heart, set your words before him. Maybe think about a key relationship or two. How do I talk to my spouse? What about my teenager? about my parent? If God has put his finger on something, the absolute best thing that you could do is to set it before God. Confess it to him. Confess it. His promise to you is that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. So give it to him. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here, today could be the day that you begin your relationship with him. It starts by you confessing your sin to him. He will forgive you. I don't know if he'll forgive me. He will forgive you. He is faithful to do so and just in doing it. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then you get to learn to live in the freedom that he bought for you. So 
Holy Spirit, please continue to work in the ways that you have been. Please challenge us. Please convict us. Please speak to us. Your word is life to us. Lord Jesus, may the genuine goodness of God so permeate us that we're transformed. And Father, as we are transformed, may you be honored by the way that we live in light of that. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.